0: Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four. And welcome, this is Curious Creative Conversations, an interview series with various members of New York's artistic community exploring their point of views on their work and its impact. Uh, I'm your host, Grace Lynch, and in the Man-Made Music Studios today is Jared Schonig, who is an accomplished drummer currently holding the drum chair of the Tony Award-winning play, The Color Purple. So, hi Jared. Hello. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Especially My pleasure. with such a busy schedule, as I know you have. You. Um, so just before we, you know, dive into your work, as I've already mentioned, um, I would just love to hear a little bit about your background, where you grew up, how you first were introduced to drums and what it is about the drums that stuck and propelled you forward.
1: Sure, uh, definitely. So I was born in Los Angeles, California. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up to, I grew up, I was born to to, two musician parents. Both my parents are professional musicians. My dad is a percussionist and a drummer, and my mom is a piano teacher, uh, classically trained, performed, and uh, taught for a very long time. Still teaches. Mm -hmm. So I... Grew up with music in the house my whole life. Um, I started on piano when I was about four and took serious classical piano lessons for about ten years, wow. and then had a brief stint on the oboe in middle school because you couldn't play uh, you couldn't play the oboe in band, or you couldn't play piano in band. So I gotcha. learned the oboe it was very difficult. So
0: you jumped straight for the double reed. Yes,
1: yeah. it was difficult, but I enjoyed that. Also, I started mm-hmm. making reeds in eighth grade. It was pretty. I was pretty heavy. Wow. Uh, as we say in jazz vernacular, heavy <laughs> cat. Um, then uh, I went to to high school, um, uh, my neighborhood high school, and I kind of wasn't doing much um, as far as music. Played a little bit of drums that year. I, I was in the drum line at that school, and it was really cool. But my parents kind of decided that that wasn't the right school for me, so they tricked me into auditioning <laughs> at a music and arts magnet school that was far away from my house so i had to take a bus an hour every day each way wow. and uh i had played drums enough that i could like do a really good audition so i did that and they and the school called back and said we want you to be in our in one of our jazz bands um so my parents said okay i think we're going to do this and i was really really upset uh, i didn't didn't want to switch high schools as sure. a freshman and yeah. um uh, but you know, looking back, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, obviously, because uh, that's what I ended up doing for a living. Yeah, so I got really into the drums in high school, and I was surrounded by some pretty incredible musicians uh, who were, you know, a couple years older than me, and it was great to kind of be in a community of, like, really serious musicians who were young and doing and playing gigs and, and out in the world. So I was I was very inspired by both my teachers at that school. I had a private teacher, Jerry Califf, as well as the students um, who were there, as well as my parents. Mm
0: -hmm. So then, if you already had this great built-in community out in LA, which is already filled with entertainment, what made you come out to New York?
1: Uh, Well, I went, I I wanted to get out of LA for college. I could have stayed, Uh, I could have gone to a couple schools in Southern California, but I really had the itch to just get out and then be a, Mm -hmm. a free man. So I went, I had visited New York, Uh, City when I was doing school auditions, and I loved New York. I loved that there were jazz clubs everywhere in the village and um, I ended up auditioning at a really great school called Eastman School of Music in Rochester, and I loved the vibe there. I loved the teacher. I didn't know him, but I just had a special feeling about what the school would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to go there, and it was very far away from LA. It was three, you know 3,000 miles, and the climate was completely different. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I'd never seen snow in my life. Wow. And um, so I did my four years there at Eastman, learned a lot. Had the same kind of experience uh, like I did with high school, like people who were way better than me, where I learned a lot of stuff from them. And um, And then I knew after college I was going to move to New York. Mm-hmm. and that's what i did
0: and when you were coming to new york then was your intent to work as um like a solo drummer uh, like one in a studio did you intend to work on broadway how did you manage yeah. to make
1: your way there great question um i when i moved to new york i i think i just solely wanted to be a jazz drummer and just do that um mm-hmm. Deep down I I always have loved playing every style of music, whether it's, you know, studio stuff, jazz, rock, country, funk, whatever, R and B. I've always loved doing it all, but I you know, I went to school for jazz so I was very, very jazzed up at that point. And uh <laughs> uh I hadn't I had played some shows uh at my high school also besides being a great school for for jazz, it was a great school for theater. And a sure. lot of the, the students there have gone on to have careers on Broadway, which is awesome as well. But um, so I, I had experience playing shows, not that that really helped at all <laughs> with me playing shows in New York. But uh, yeah, I was playing a, a jazz gig every Monday night in Queens for about forty dollars, three hours. Uh, I would drive an hour each way just to play, you know, restaurant jazz and. Little did I know that that guy who's a guitar player named Jim Hirschman, he also did shows and he was playing Grease, the last Grease revival at the time and he mm-hmm. asked me if I would be interested in subbing. And so I said sure, I had never, never been on my radar. Never was on my radar. I, I, at this time I was probably still working at Apple Computer, I moved to New York to have with a day job because I need health insurance so I knew that that mm-hmm. would provide me with that. Um, so, yeah, he asked me just if I would be interested in subbing, and I did. I did that. I did a really great job. And then he recommended me to another drummer who needed subs on uh, an off-Broadway show and then another Broadway show. And that's kind of how I got in, in the, that scene of, of playing shows, yeah.
0: And what about playing shows have you found rewarding? Is it part of like the consistency that oh. helps make it feel like a more like tangible hold on your craft? Or is it... Also, kind of how it fuses in with a different art form that you may have been exposed to in your other education.
1: Uh, that's a great question. There's a lot of great things I like about uh, Broadway and shows. Um, I think when I think about it, just from an outside perspective, uh, it's the it's the community and the mm-hmm. hang that yeah. that is really amazing. Like. I know so many people from that world that are just great people who I hang out with, and that may not even be musicians, but are actors or uh, stagehands or props people. You get to know a lot of different people, and I'm, you know, I'm a. It's just my personality. I talk to people, and I get to know who they are, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not very shy. But um, so that I think has been one of the most rewarding things about it. Musically, it's a great thing as well. Because every show is a different style, and I've been able to do mm-hmm. a lot of different shows in different styles because of, uh, I guess, the versatility I have at the drums. So I'll do a, a classical, you know, kind of typical Broadway show, or then I'll do American Idiot, which is just straight wow. straight yeah. rock, or um, Color Purple, which is very gospel-y, R&B, um, or Pippin, which is, you know, typical theatery, but with a kind of a heavy rock pop thing.
0: And weren't you also the original drum track for Pippin Mm -hmm. from the book? Yeah. So what was that experience like?
1: That was great. That was my first show. Um, Wow. And it was very incredible. I still remember when I got the phone calls with uh, my girlfriend and uh, it was very exciting. Um, I did the cast rehearsals where I was told I had to write every single thing down that I was doing in cast rehearsals so that the choreographer would be cool and know that I was remembering how to do everything. Um, so I took a lot of notes. I brought a lot of goodies to the to the dance rehearsals. And it was a lot of work. It was basically three, works, three weeks of uh, 10, 10 to 6. And then we went into tech. And that's another incredibly long process. Yep. Where tech just, is madness. Tech is madness where you're doing 10 out of 12, 10 hours out of 10 out of 12 hours for like 10 days in a row or something. And then we did previews, and I couldn't take off. You have to do every single show. Uh, So you're doing eight shows a week, and you really don't have any life. But it's very rewarding, um, especially when you open and you have that opening night party. And and musically, it was great, too. Mm -hmm. Just I met a lot of great people, and I had a few of my best friends were on that show who I had subbed many shows with before. So it was a very nice community and a great hang.
0: Wow. And what are some of the other shows that you've worked on that you found particularly rewarding?
1: Uh, let's see, Next to Normal was a great...
0: <gasps> Next to Normal was one of my all-time you favorite like musicals, yeah. if not the top. Yeah. I think it's incredible.
1: Uh, it was. That was a really, really special, uh, special show. Um, because you were on stage it was great music Mm -hmm. that's yeah that was the second show i ever subbed on and i subbed a lot on it and it's basically doing well on that show got me pippin because it's the same music director so Mm -hmm. that one was great american idiot was probably my favorite one that i subbed on and then next to normal um a spider-man was really fun musically um God's Godspell was fun because you were also kind of on stage, mm-hmm. and it was at this circle in the square theater where every band member was out in the audience, and then they had built like a soundproof kind of dunk tank, I like to call it. <laughs> I was out in the audience, and you had to go up these tiny, tiny little stairs, and you'd be afraid of falling every single time. That was cool. Um, yeah, I've done. I've done. Oh, Ghost yeah. was a lot of fun musically. Oh. It's great. Uh, and I haven't seen a lot of these shows, so I can't tell you if they were good. I just know how they were <laughs> to play. <laughs> Except American Idiot, I saw that. I loved it. And Next to Normal, I saw it a bunch of times.
0: Is that a slightly weird phenomenon to be so integral to how a show is perceived, totally. but not necessarily see it? Totally, like, there is yeah. no rehearsal where the band comes in and watches the show they're going to no, score. No,
1: doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. All all that really happens is that the. Uh, Orchestra will do a sits probe, which is, Mm -hmm. you just, that's the first time the band meets the cast and you rehearse, but you're rehearsing in a sound, you know, in a studio, and then you just are singing through the tunes, and that's it. So unless you do tech, which I did tech for, actually didn't do tech for Pippin, but I did tech for, it should have been you, which is the second show I did. Um, So I saw that, and I wish I would have seen the other ones, because I still haven't really seen Color Purple, uh, Color Purple is one of my favorites, obviously too, mm-hmm. um, but I still haven't seen that either. And I know that these shows are amazing, and I just—that's
0: <laughs> <laughs> such a very unique, I feel, perspective on yeah. it. Yeah, because everyone else who's helping out has seen it, seen you know, it. Exactly. so many times their eyes bleed.
1: But. Right. Only the musicians, because we're stuck in a pit or we're stuck mm-hmm. in a room. Only if you're on stage do you really get to see what it's like. And then you know, uh, half of those shows I've been on stage, I guess. Um,
0: and does it get any sort of like sense of tiring or repetitive to? Play oh, yeah. eight shows a week?
1: Yeah, totally. But the answer to that is uh, the 50% rule, which is a rule that's only applied to the musicians. And um, you basically what it means is you ha- within a three-month period, you have to be there for 50% of the shows only. And you know when I sub out, I don't get paid, but my sub gets paid and it's awesome. But I sub out to do other gigs or I sub out to spend time um, with my girlfriend or et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what makes it uh, fresh and, and not as monotonous as it is it gets yeah. it, you know it's funny it's like if a show is good enough it doesn't get that boring and this mm-hmm. one color purple is still not boring at all it's still great That's good but I, I take off a lot too though
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how would you contrast then that world and that sort of like large-scale yet repetitive Lifestyle with recording in a studio, which feels like it's a much more like singular event and very yeah,
1: like you know playing live music or recording. There's there's something uh, spontaneous about that, Mm -hmm. which it feeds another creative urge. Um, Basically, you know when you go in a studio, you're kind of doing something perfect. Yeah, or you but you get multiple chances to do something perfect. When you're doing theater, it's like being in this studio and you get one chance to do it perfect. So there's a lot of pressure in doing that. Having your own show, there's a little less pressure because you know you're not gonna get fired. But when (laughs) you are a sub, it's one of the most nerve-wracking things. It is the only nerve-wracking thing I've ever had to do musically, actually. It's when you're a sub, you have to learn the show like the regular and play it exactly like him, and you get one shot, and that's it. Mm
0: -hmm. If you
1: do well, then they'll call you back, and if you don't, then they won't. Wow. Yep you don't get it at a rehearsal.
0: Right. Yeah. Yikes.
1: It's it's a little nuts.
0: And have you found the same community that you have with the theater in the more like studio private recording world?
1: Uh yeah, I would say I mean, I would say the other world I'm in mostly is jazz world and then mm-hmm. I do, you know, a lot of studio stuff too. But um it's a little different. It's very it's both worlds are very competitive. Sure. Because, um, you know, there's not a lot of work to be had. But I think as a whole, everybody besides musicians are way more welcoming in the theater world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like actors, even though they're competitive, they're still friends with each other and they still dig each other and, like, support each other. And that's mostly true in the musician world and the Broadway world, but less true in the jazz world, Interesting. I would say i mean i have a lot of i know more a good point a good example is i know more drummers in the theater world personally because i mean maybe because they sub for me and that's probably why because you develop these relationships with other drummers because you're trusting them with your show so i know a lot of guys real well and but i only know i don't know the drummers in the jazz world as personally i know Mm -hmm. them i say you know hey can you cover this gig i I can't do it but then I don't know how they play as well you know it's just a little, right. it's a little bit different
0: it's a little bit less personal yeah and when you ask someone to sub for a show for you do you ever like walk them through the show yeah
1: definitely yeah. Um, some guys are more experienced than others and you know you can trust them to just do it on their own but if I've had a few first-timers on the show that um, you know I go through things I, I, I like ask them specific questions to make sure that they know what I was doing there and and if they ask the right questions, that I know they're preparing well, sure. As far as following certain cues or playing certain grooves a certain way, that maybe it's not on the page, but maybe how I play it every night. Yeah. Their job is to come in and sound a- as close to me as possible. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Wow. I feel like that would be really hard, particularly for something like drums, where you are to yeah, have your own a, personal flair.
1: It's the hardest book to sub on for sure, sure. and because everybody hears the drums, everybody notices mm-hmm. the drums. Uh, the actors come down when I, when when that were when I come back from being gone. They say, "Yep, wasn't the same," mm-hmm. you know. So it feels good, but they also get pissed when I take off a lot because right. it's very. This is a show like this is it's very integral to the music.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, can you tell me a bit about the We Trio?
1: The Wee Trio, yes. So the Wee Trio is uh, probably my main creative outlet. Uh, it's a trio I have with. One of my best friends, Dan Loomis, who's a bass player that I went to Eastman and was roommates with twice, once in Rochester and once in New York. Wow! And then a vibraphonist named James Westfall, um, who coincidentally lived across the street from Dan and I when I first moved to New York. And we became friends and played. And then we formed this trio called the We Trio in mm-hmm. 2006, 2007. and. We tour, we 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 we, uh, we <laughs> tour um, all over the states and in Canada, and we'll go to Europe sometime soon. We've released four records with the fifth on the way, and wow. it's it's just a great. It's it's like it's a band where we never rehearse because we we want to play everything. Well, we rehearse a little bit, but mm-hmm. not really. We want to play everything different every single time. So we have this core group of tunes we got about 30 or 40 tunes that we play that we could call but you know our we don't want it to sound the same every night so it's the complete opposite of a i was about Broadway to say that's thing. the
0: exact opposite exact of in opposite every capacity.
1: but it's that's in the vein of jazz you know mm-hmm. the improvisational aspect um so that's yeah that's an amazing group and 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 two of us only live here james lives in Nashville, And before that, he's lived in New Orleans for about seven or eight years. So it's a very special group, and we've kept it going, mm-hmm. even as one person has lived very, very far away.
0: And have you ever been down to New Orleans mm-hmm. to play with him there?
1: Many times, about ten times, I think. Okay. Yeah, New Orleans one of my favorite cities.
0: It's on the top of my list for oh. U.S. cities to go to. Oh, you got to go to it. I heard the New Orleans Jazz Orchestra play at... Um, oh, cool. The Cal Performances Center in Berkeley, Zeller Rock Hall, and I just about lost my mind. I was dancing in the aisle. Oh, great. I just think they're incredible. Yeah,
1: that's a great group. Mm
0: -hmm. So, have you been down there for the Jazz Festival?
1: Yeah, we played it uh, not this year, but last year, and it was amazing. Ah.
0: So, what's the vibe of a large festival like that?
1: Uh, I've done a lot of, not a lot, but maybe a dozen of those festivals Mm -hmm. where you're playing for like a couple thousand people in the audience, and it's pretty great. It's. (laughs) It's, I imagine it's what like uh, what a Broadway show would be like as an actor, because you're sure. on stage and you mm-hmm. see them. Um, but playing those big festivals are a lot of fun. I, in some ways, I prefer a smaller venue, like somewhere between 100 and 400 seats, just because it's more intimate and you can play more dynamically. When you're at those festivals, playing on like a big stage for a lot of people, you can't really play soft. That's it true. doesn't translate. So uh, yeah. it was a lot of fun, though. The audience was going nuts and, you know, it's just, it's great, and New Orleans is crazy. And you know, one minute we're playing, the next minute there's thunderstorms, and it's like the <laughs> highest, like craziest rain. And then it goes away ten minutes later. It's really crazy. New Orleans has crazy weather.
0: Yeah, it also just seems like a city of extremes, regardless. Yes, it's very appropriate true. Appropriate that the weather would reflect that. Yes,
1: very true. <laughs>
0: uh, and I also heard that you did a great event at fifty four below the mm. Chaka Khan.
1: Yeah, that's arrangement a, concert. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I just, uh, it, it was kind of just a pet pet project. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but it seemed like a great merger of your two worlds in terms totally, of
1: totally, you know, um, your I, personal
0: work and Broadway.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I used a lot of, um, so basically what it was, was a concert I put together of all Shaka Khan music from different albums that I really loved, and I got a bunch of different singers to sing uh, different tunes from the Broadway or kind of studio world or gospel world and they did an amazing job and I put together a really really great band of my buddies from either the jazz world or the Broadway world and a lot of them do both like me Mm -hmm. um and it just it turned out really really incredibly and I want to do it again it was very uh it was hard on my bank account I'll say that sure because I wanted to take care of everybody and pay them what I would expect if I were doing a gig like that. So that being said, uh, I'll do it again. I'll, I'll do it probably mm-hmm. somewhere else where I could make a little bit more money, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. but it was it was very cool uh, artistically and, 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 like, business-wise.
0: And is that something you see happening more and more regularly in terms of, like, different worlds of the artistic community kind of merging for s- specific... Yeah. Um,
1: it, you know, there's a lot of crossover with many musicians, but mm-hmm. I think... That's a good question. I'm not quite sure how to answer it right now. I have to see how it plays out. Because sure. for a long time, I kind of liked to keep my world separate because one one world might look down on the other world. You know, jazzers uh, might look down at Broadway musicians um, as, I don't know, selling out or something like that. But, but then they come crawling because they need to make some money. So... It's a very interesting thing, um, but a lot of the guys who do both are just great musicians and great people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like to I like people who do both for sure. There's not many. Um, there's not many drummers, m- and and there are a few rhythm section players. But a lot of the horn players, uh, reed players, and trumpet players are incredible, incredible jazz musicians who have been doing shows just just subsidize their lives for a long time because it is a steady income and it's a right. really and it can be great.
0: And do you think that this new wave of people, you know, maybe doing both, and regardless of whether or not they're like, embarrassed to say so, is a relatively new development? No. Or do you think that's the way it's been? For that's, a, for I think it's been
1: a wave, wave for a while. And I actually think that it's going to... There's, there's, it, I don't think there's going to be a new wave of people doing both because hmm. uh, these days, people, kids who are coming from college who are moving to New York just want to play shows because they know that's how t- they can make money. They know they can't make money playing jazz or make a living playing jazz. You can make some money. Uh, it's, so the problem with a lot of uh, today's youth, um, young musicians, is that they don't really... They haven't they haven't had an experience playing real music um, in the real world. They haven't played their... Forty dollar jazz gigs. They haven't gone on the road with a rock band. They haven't done that kind of stuff. But they mm-hmm. they just want to go straight to Broadway or to theater and make some money. And it's it, it's very reflective in their playing, um, and their attitudes. You have to kind of pay your dues, and I don't think a lot of today's youth really understands that.
0: Interesting. And do you think that that's a problem with how the Schools or institutions that they're studying at are kind of sending them forward with that mentality. It, it
1: could be, or uh, I mean, jazz education is a very weird thing to begin with, uh, and music education can be great. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I'd have mm-hmm. to ask these these kids <laughs> and say, like, sure. how did you? Why do you just want to play Broadway? And then their answer will probably be, well, there's no money anywhere else. You know, it's like very hard to get. Uh, a touring gig with a pop band or a touring gig with a you know, a big jazz group, those are they th- I think they think it's easier to to break into the theater world or more, yeah, I don't know
0: and as someone who's not necessarily from New York but has been here for many, many years, yeah, I once had someone tell me that who was coming from the theater world perspective that Broadway, you know, is fantastic and a wonderful source of entertainment. But, She had a problem with it because it's not New York theater for New Yorkers, that it largely feeds a tourist population or a tourist interest, and therefore she felt really disassociated with it. So I was wondering if that is at all reflected in maybe your community or if you've seen that or if that's not your perspective at all. No,
1: I totally disagree. Awesome. Uh, there There are shows... For tourists, but in, in the main, in the bulk of them are not, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, New Yorkers love to go to theater. Uh, yeah, and there's something for everyone. Kids, teenagers, adults, um, men, women, children. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just that's what it is. I th- Yeah, I don't, I've never felt that.
0: Okay, very cool. She lied.
1: <laughs> she lied to you.
0: I'm good with that. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, so now that you you know you have a successful group that you write create and perform with, you have your side studio gigs, you have your jazz gigs to like fulfill another passion, and you have your Broadway steady work that's also fulfilling and interesting and allows you to play the diverse selection mm-hmm. of music you've always enjoyed. What's next?
1: I knew you were going to ask that, <laughs> and that's a very difficult question to answer because I. I, I get into these uh, periods of my life where I'm so busy that I don't think about what's next because I kind of am just enjoying doing everything I'm doing right now. Um, but yeah, somebody, because I, I tour with the, uh, sometimes with a great, great singer named Kurt Elling who's at the top of of the jazz field and it's a very, very good gig. It pays well. It's really fun. Um, and somebody asked me, you know, like, well, you're doing this, like, now, this was a random audience member the other day in D.C., and she said, well, what? who else do you want to play with? And I thought, well, man, I haven't really thought about that. I'm just happy getting calls to play with people mm-hmm. I like. So, um, yeah, I mean, that last, the ShakaCon Khan thing was a goal of mine, and mm-hmm. I did that, so um i just gotta yeah i gotta make some new goals for myself i'm in a good point
0: is there a different mentality going into work like this coming from a drummer's perspective because drummers usually play with people accompany people support as opposed to having solo yeah personas of their own. yeah i
1: mean I, i I, if I could be seen as more of a music director, I'd be totally into it, because that's what that <laughs> gig was. I played drums, but I also music right. directed. I did all the arrangements. I, I, I had a, I definitely had a lot of help from a, a great friend of mine who's the music director on Color Purple. Um, and I, I couldn't have done it without him. But like I, I, I definitely liked doing that a lot, because drummers often lead um, in some way or another um, you know, from the drums playing-wise or vocally, and I kind of do that naturally. You know, I like to lead. I like to help. So if that's something I could do more in, like, a kind of a pop uh, world, I would, Mm -hmm. as well as maybe a a theater vibe, too. So that that could be what's next. Who
0: knows? All right. Well, now that we've established your future, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm just going to wrap up really quick because you have places to go. Oh, my God. Oh, good timing. Yeah. Um, So... Here are some really quick questions that I'm going to ask you that I ask everybody. Okay. So don't think too hard about them. Just okay. give whatever answer comes to mind. Okay.
1: Um, I like this.
0: If you could live anywhere for a year, where would it be?
1: Paris came to mind first.
0: Perfect. Brilliant. What's a book you'd recommend to a friend?
1: Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't read that much, um, and my girlfriend hates that. Um, <laughs> come back to that one. Okay. We'll Oh, come back my to gosh. It. It's All embarrassing. Right.
0: It's okay. What's a movie you would not recommend to a friend?
1: Oh. I don't watch bad movies. I make it a point not to see bad movies, and I just see the movies that I want to watch. So that, nothing. Nothing? Yeah.
0: You've never even been disappointed by a movie? Um. That's what blows my mind. You have impeccable taste, is what we're learning from this. <laughs> um, what is another profession you would love to try other than your own? Acting. Very cool. Is that just from being around actors so much?
1: Uh, I was I, I was really into acting as a kid. I went to drama camps and stuff, mm-hmm. and I always, I still think that someday I'm gonna just like switch professions and become an actor in my old age. Fantastic. Or like, you know, middle age, <laughs> late middle age, something, whatever.
0: <laughs> uh, who is someone living or dead you'd like to have dinner with?
1: Obama came to mind.
0: My... Yeah, no, that is right on track. Okay, um, okay and then the final two. When's a moment you felt lost?
1: Oof. That's deep. Uh I'll do the other one first. What's we'll mm-hmm. the it. uh it's related. It's related. Okay. I got to think about it. That's okay. That's a good question. I don't often feel lost, and I make it a point to not feel lost. I mean, I can I can think of like some unhappy moments, but not lost.
0: Well, that in itself is very indicative of your character. Yeah. So that's that's a fine answer. Okay. All right. So then its counterpart, when's a moment you felt on track?
1: Uh, I've had many, <laughs> many of those. Um I think when I got the call for Pippin was definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think, uh, one, one is when I was with my girlfriend in Paris. Uh, another was right after or during my Chaka Khan gig. Definitely, I found, felt very good, very found. Um, I felt, like, found almost every single time I was on stage playing American Idiot. Uh, yeah, there I could. there's a lot of them.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. That's good. Okay, and now I lie. There's going to be one more question. That's fine. Um, just to wrap up, you talked a lot about how you see, like, a younger generation entering the music field and how their perspective might be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. What is it that you would not necessarily like great advice you'd give them but what's advice that maybe you've lived by that's helped you move forward yeah. that you think could apply to more people
1: uh well it's something i was to- i was told by many many people um play every gig you can when you can when it's when you're able so like the you move to New York you get called to do a bar mitzvah do it you get called to do a club date do it you get called to play a dance class do it because that provides invaluable experience that you'll need going into whatever field of music that you eventually do um, and nothing uh, when you're young and learning nothing it should be beneath you musically and I think some people don't have that attitude these days.
0: Fantastic. I think that's great.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming. I know that you have a jam-packed schedule and a lot of things on your plate. Oh, and thank I you. this was really valuable for me and for us and for everyone. Awesome. Um, so, really, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, my it.
1: pleasure. Thank you. Great questions. Very, very awesome.
0: Happy to hear it. All right. We're good.